listening to Green State, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality, the agency responsible for restoring, maintaining, and enhancing the quality of Oregon's air, land, and water. Hi, I'm Lauren Wordis. And I'm Dylan Darling. Welcome to the Green State Podcast. We are public affairs specialists with the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality, and this is the third and final episode of the Where There's Smoke series. We really recommend that you go back and check out the first two episodes, which will give you some context for what we're talking about today. Yeah, thanks, Lon. In those first two episodes, the first part was about the past of air quality in Oregon, where we looked at field burning and wintertime wood smoke, and then we moved into what we'll see in more today. And in part two, it was about present day wildfire smoke and how it's affecting air quality. So if you haven't checked those out, definitely go back, listen to them. But if you're with us now, you want to know about the future. That's what we're going to try to predict if we can, try to figure out where we might be headed as a state when it comes to wildfire smoke and air quality. Thanks for the recap, Dylan. So yeah, like you said, let's jump right in. We have a lot to cover in this episode. Wildfire smoke and its impact on air quality has really become a regular part of life in Oregon, as many people are experiencing this summer. We've, of course, learned this over the past five years or so, and DEQ's Smoke Trends Report gives data that supports what you all out there have probably observed wherever you might live in Oregon. We're seeing a lot more smoky days, and when it's smoky, it tends to be more intense. That's right, Lauren. While it's really hard to predict the future, we can look at trends and try to chart what is ahead. Unfortunately for Oregon, that likely means more smoky summer days more often. Now, if you're like me and you found smoke in recent summers in Oregon uncomfortable and even unhealthy, well, this report has some troubling info about what's coming. I'm going to quote from it. If these trends continue, Oregon would see an increase in unhealthy air quality conditions during wildfire season and more summers with widespread air quality impacts. Additionally, summers with little or no wildfire smoke, like 2016 and 2019, will be much less commonplace. Ah, remember those blue sky summers of 2016 and 2019? Here's some of what Anthony Barnack and Daniel Johnson had to tell you. They both worked on the Smoke Trends Report, which tracks the air quality in 24 communities around Oregon. We put together an air quality trends report, and it shows that frequency and the intensity of wildfires has really ramped up in the last 10 years, but really in the last five years. And it's parts of the state that never used to see wildfire impacts, like the Willamette Valley and Portland are now getting them every other year or every year. And parts that get them all the time, are they're lasting a lot longer, like Medford and Klamath Falls. They would get a couple of weeks. Now they're getting five weeks. So... I mean, the season is going to start earlier and it's going to end later. What Anthony said there really sums it up. Fire season in Oregon is starting earlier and ending later, and we're seeing larger fires producing more smoke than we have in the past. And what this means for Oregonians is seeing a lot more hazardous days, which we hadn't really seen in a lot of places around the state. And in fact, most of the days, like 90% of all the days that the different monitors recorded that have been hazardous, uh, 
were recorded just in 2020. We're recording this podcast in September 2021, and we're on the tail end, hopefully, of the 2021 fire season. And so far, this trend is continuing, particularly in Southern Oregon, Central Oregon, and the Klamath Falls area. They again have just seen more of these days of poor air quality, and so the, the trend is playing out yet again this year. And another aspect of wildfire is weather, which plays a really big role. So it takes dry, hot weather to prime forests and other wildland areas for flames. In learning about air quality and wildfire smoke in Oregon, Dylan caught up with Ryan Sandler, a warning coordinator meteorologist in Medford. He expanded on what we've learned in the Smoke Trends report. And yes, Ryan has a fantastic title. If we simply extrapolate the current trends, we will have a longer wildfire season, more fires, larger fires, and more smoke. So I've lived in Medford since 1998, and the first 10 years I lived here, there was only one summer with unhealthy smoke uh, due to the Biscuit Fire in 2002. In the last 10 years, there have been six years with unhealthy summer smoke in Medford. The only good news is that the winter season has been getting cleaner uh, with the cleaner cars and more efficient wood burning stoves, but summers certainly have been getting worse. So summer's getting worse and fire season's getting longer. That's just, again, this trend that's going on. And as we sit in September 2021, the forecast was for dry weather, uh, a drier month than you might expect. You know, this episode. It's all about the future and trying to look out in a long view of what's ahead. And a lot of the climate predictions and things like that all for just the dry times in Oregon to be longer and longer. And that means fire season being longer. And it comes back to our main topic, smoke. (laughs) The longer the fire season, the smaller smoke there's going to be. And then we're going to need to figure out how to deal with it. Right. And, you know, well, People might think that's pretty intuitive. It feels very familiar. It's tough news to take. But what we also really want to talk about in this episode is what we're going to do about it. And the good news is that the answer is that there's a lot going on. Work is happening certainly across Oregon and its state agencies, and we're coordinating with the local and federal levels as well. It's so true. We heard about a lot of different efforts going on, and there's no way we will cover absolutely everything that's happening all at at once and get it into this podcast. So moving forward, we probably have some future episodes that will revisit this, but we are going to attempt to cover a lot. We're going to talk about the need for future research and monitoring to support that research, new guidelines and funding opportunities, as well as the future of prescribed boning. So hold tight. This is going to be a good one. It is. I'm really excited about this episode. And that is a great setup. So research as agencies at all levels respond to wildfire smoke. It's always important that we follow the science. We're still learning more about wildfire smoke and its effects on health. And here's Gabriella Goldfarb with OHA to talk a little bit about that. In terms of the science, there is more research um, to be done that needs to give us more precise information about, you know, how much smoke is too much smoke? What happens after three hours? What happens after five hours? Because, you know, people can be exposed for for all different durations and understanding, 
more precisely those health effects with different exposures to different kinds of populations with different risk factors, that's really going to help us fine-tune our public health interventions. That's a, a new frontier, and we are encouraged that EPA is going to be taking a deeper look at the research and coming up with more specific guidance. And then Governor Brown issued her Climate Executive Order 20-04 in March of 2020. And uh, one of the, th the tasks that she directed OHA to carry out under that executive order was to work with Oregon OSHA to propose rules to protect outdoor workers from wildfire smoke and heat. Now we'll go further into those rules later on in this podcast. So you may recall that earlier on in the Whale There's Smoke series, we talked about the changing science of air quality and how we've been looking at these smaller and smaller particles. It's interesting, there's now so much research about exposure and what all these small particles doing at longer periods of time and just what that all means. To get there, to, to understand that, we need to really know what is in the air. And that is where our agency, DEQ, comes into play. We've got this monitoring network all around the state. It is how we figure out what the air quality is looking like. And of course, part of the effort to learn more is to continue to understand what is happening on the ground across Oregon. Tom Roik, who listeners will have heard in the earlier episodes, describes how wildfires are impacting where DEQ prioritizes placement of air quality monitors. We have been adding more air monitoring stations. We have our own project, which we call our SenseOR or Sensor Oregon. It's our own use of low-cost sensor technology, and we built our own device that we could deploy around the state. So that has been an opportunity for us to actually expand where we're monitoring around the state and add additional locations. We now have a number of air monitoring stations along the coast in places like Brookings and Coos Bay and Florence and Tillamook, where we didn't have those before. So as we go about expanding our network, given the resources that we have, we are doing that with wildfire in mind. We're looking at our map of the state and saying, are there locations where we don't have very good coverage as it relates to wildfire, and maybe we should put more monitors there. People all around Oregon have come to rely on DEQ's air monitoring network to know what the air quality is like when it's smoky and when it might be safe to go outside. They're trying to answer questions like, can I go out and work in my yard today? Can I go camping? Can I go for a run? And our air quality monitors can really tell you that. And the more we can cover more of the state, the better. As Tom mentioned, DQ is working to expand the network. As of September 2021, we're up to about 70 monitors around the state, and in coming years, we're set to add about 20 more. That would bring DQ's network to 90 monitors total. The monitors don't just tell you where smoke is thick and air quality is bad, but where there isn't smoke and where air quality is good. That's particularly useful if you living in an area that's been socked in by smoke, it can be nice to know, oh, if I go over to the coast or over to a distant valley, I might just have a chance to get a break, get some relief from the smoke. Yeah, I actually had a friend last weekend reach out to me and she was in the Mount Hood wilderness area. And 
was asking about the air quality and whether she should stick around there. And while the monitoring network isn't predictive, you can click on a monitor and see a graph over time. And at that time, it looked like it was trending downward. So of course, at that time, it was unhealthy. So she wasn't getting out and doing too many activities, but she was able to keep an eye on the network and sort of stay at her camping spot and the air quality got better and they enjoyed their weekend. That's great. That's great. It is a good point to remind people that we do have a smartphone app called the Oregon Air app. If you happen to have a friend at DEQ, you can always call us. But (laughs) if you don't, if you have a smartphone, you can use this app to take a look at the data that Lauren just mentioned and you can see those trends. Is this arrow getting worse? Is this arrow getting better? Should I stick around here? And DEQ isn't the only agency involved with air monitoring. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is researching ways to make air monitoring better and spread air quality information. When it comes to wildfire smoke, EPA is looking at modeling, low-cost sensors, indoor air monitoring, evaluating air filters, monitoring performance when challenged by smoke, and improving air quality smartphone apps. EPA has a lab in Corvallis called the Pacific Ecological Systems Division Laboratory. The scientists at this lab are contributing greatly to the agency's wildfire smoke research. Like we've discussed throughout the Wild Air Smoke series, issue of wildfire smoke and air quality in the West is not going away. I caught up with Ron Washman, an EPA biologist in Corvallis, who told me why this research is so important. Well, there's two main reasons. I think the primary driver for why it's critically important to look at wildland fire smoke is the impact that smoke and whatever is contained in it has on human health. It's important that we better understand what's being produced and in what quantities, how it's being distributed in space so that when the Oregon Health Authority or other health entities want to then inform the public about how to minimize these very real and very negative impacts on their health, that they have the tools and the data sets to do it. The other part of the equation then is the impact that wildland fires have on ecosystems. The Corvallis location is actually, we have a lot of expertise in ecosystem research, and that's where a lot of our work has been done in the past and will be done you know, today and, and in the future. So EPA is improving how air monitoring data is collected and shared. And DEQ is expanding its monitoring network to provide more information about where areas are affected by poor quality and help people make decisions to protect their health. This year, Oregon experienced a heat wave and unhealthy wildfire smoke. As a result, Oregon Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or Oregon OSHA, adopted two new and distinct emergency rules. One puts protection in place against the hazards of wildfire smoke. Another establishes safeguards against high heat in employer-provided housing. The wildfire smoke rule ties requirements for employers to air quality standards. So, for example, they may have to provide free respite to their employees or take other precautions like changing work schedules if the air quality reaches unhealthy for sensitive groups or worse. Since the Where There's Smoke series is all about wildfire smoke, we caught up with Oregon OSHA Administrator Michael Wood to tell us a little bit more. It's a, a somewhat unusual hazard in that it doesn't really grow out of the nature of the work. Once you're working outdoors, and you're working outdoors continuously, um, that exposure is going to be there. Now, of course, it's worse 
if you're doing manual labor, and one of the realities is that the people who are working outdoors and who have to work outdoors, regardless of the conditions, tend to be those people who are also doing the hardest physical labor, and that just compounds the exposure. Um, so really, it's, it's looking at all of those issues and trying to get a handle on what we can do, not necessarily to eliminate all the risk, that's never really our goal in workplace safety and health, but to significantly reduce it and uh, reach a level where it can be managed more effectively. I also think that there's just a broader public education agenda that, that ultimately probably falls more to the Oregon Health Authority and to the Department of Environmental Quality than it does to Oregon OSHA because it isn't as though the exposures go away because the individual goes off the clock. If they remain outside or they remain exposed, they, they still face the same risks. Um, perhaps with less awareness of them. And so I think that this will, this is something that we've had a lot of collaboration between the three agencies on over the last few years. And I expect those efforts and the resulting outreach and education activities to continue. Michael also mentioned the heat waves, as well as the ongoing COVID pandemic we've been experiencing, that they add new complications to these rules. Because it's important to protect people from wildfire smoke by making respirators available, but you also have to be careful during heat to make sure people don't experience heat exhaustion or heat stroke. It's just an added challenge. Yeah, that's a really good point, Dylan. And as Michael mentions, there's a lot of collaboration to make sure people are protected both during and outside of work because the impacts from smoke or heat or COVID don't go away when you're off your job. There was also another important wildfire bill passed in the legislature officially called Senate Bill 762. This wildfire bill is going to provide a number of new resources to the state and federal agencies and support local communities as well. Gabriella Goldfarb is back here with us, and she provides some examples of what this bill will mean to Oregonians. There's a Senate Bill 762 that is um, what they're calling the Omnibus Wildfire Bill that has a whole range of big programs to try to make the state more resilient. But part of that bill does two things related directly to health. For my agency, OHA, it provides funding to us so that we can provide smoke filtration devices to people with low income and and at high risk. And so we will be able to help people develop cleaner air spaces in their homes. Um, It also directs the Department of Human Services, which is the agency in charge of any kind of emergency sheltering. And this bill, Senate Bill 762, is going to provide funding and direction to the Department of Human Services to give grants to local communities to establish emergency clean air shelters for wildfire smoke and other um, air quality events and also to provide resources to local governments to take their public buildings where the public could have access and upgrade the HVAC systems, the air systems, to make them more resilient to smoke. So those are two really important outcomes from that wildfire bill. And I enjoyed this part of the conversation with Gabriella because I wanted to hear more about the protections in place for people who don't have homes. We've spent a lot of time talking on this podcast for how to upgrade your home or put a DIY filter in your home, but 
we definitely need to remain concerned about people who don't have homes. So I was really happy to hear that there are going to be more resources and more effort and energy directed towards making sure that those people's health is protected as well. Lauren talked with DQ Air Quality Plan on Forrester, Margaret Miller, to learn more about DQ's role under Senate Bill 762 and learn more about what she's doing when it comes to working with local communities. Specifically, we are going to be working with community and tribal partners to develop community smoke response plans. So these plans are basically plans that engage with people who are doing prescribed fire activities, the smoke vulnerable and the local public health authorities. It basically creates a a strategy for communicating to those that are smoke vulnerable what the air quality will be and what they can do to protect themselves from smoke. We are going to give some priority to areas that we call smoke sensitive receptor areas. Those are the communities that have routine smoke impacts and also have a lot of need for doing prescribed fire within the vicinity of their community, but have the potential of having a a smoke impact that their community needs to be prepared for. You know, in the wake of the wildfire event that happened last year and the horrific smoke impacts that we saw, um, people are realizing that there's a lot of ways in which you have to prepare a community. It's not just preparing them for evacuations or creating defensible spaces, but smoke can travel long distances and impact communities. And so being able to make sure that people are aware of that hazard is equally as important. And we'll actually circle back again with Margaret to talk about how these community smoke plans are really integrated into how we're going to be managing wildfires in the future. But so far, we've covered research, expanded monitoring, new guidelines, new bills that are bringing additional funding and connecting local, state and federal governments to work together to address this problem. One thing we haven't yet talked about is something Margaret just referred to, which is prescribed burning. And Dylan, how would you define prescribed burning to the listeners? It's essentially a way of managing the forest through burning areas on purpose during specific weather conditions so the smoke doesn't stay around. That's where the prescription in prescribed burning comes from, is it's a prescription for the right weather conditions. By getting rid of some of the brush, hopefully we can avoid these massive wildfires that come during the dry season and create unhealthy to hazardous air conditions for a long time. Margaret is one of the folks at DQ that is really heading up this effort. Prescribed burning, which is also sometimes called controlled burning, um, describes fire that is set intentionally on the landscape to meet some type of management objective. And there's an array of different things that prescribed fire does. It has, you know, both ecological and silvicultural benefits. But one big benefit that we do know that prescribed fire has is it reduces hazardous fuel loads. And it's the hazardous fuels that can cause an increase in catastrophic wildfire risk. 
So we, the smoke management program, which is a component of prescribed fire, it's how you manage the smoke that the prescribed fire creates. What we do is we collaborate with the Department of Forestry. ODF has a team of meteorologists that monitor weather conditions and issue daily forecasts. And they regulate when fires on the landscape and they do it under atmospheric conditions that are favorable so that the smoke doesn't impact the community. And when we're putting fire on the landscape, there's a whole team of firefighters there to monitor it and watch it and put it out versus if a fire happens naturally, could take off. And so definitely the prescribed fire route is um, less of a, a threat and produces far less smoke emissions. Now, Lauren, I used to live over in Bend, Central Oregon, where it's a fire landscape. Fires are part of the terrain there. And prescribed fire is a very interesting topic because you definitely you want to have a prescribed fire, as Margaret described, less intensity in everything rather than a, a big wildfire that creates unpredictable large amounts of smoke. That said, when it's springtime and you want to be out on a mountain bike or something like that, it can be a challenge choosing to have smoke then or in the fall. So those are just some of the challenges as you plan out prescribed fires. That's exactly right. And prescribed burning isn't new to Oregon. The smoke management program has actually been around and been part of DEQ since 1972. But as we lean on it more to help us manage catastrophic wildfires and and try to make sure they happen less frequently, making sure that we manage smoke and communicate when there's going to be smoke is going to be a really important part of what we do. So Margaret also mentioned during our discussion that there are a couple different types of prescribed burning, and the most common one is called pile burning, which is exactly what it sounds like. You put a bunch of materials in a pile and you burn them. Um, However, this method can produce a fair amount of smoke and the state, so DEQ and our partners are looking into alternative methods for prescribed burning so that we can find ways to be more efficient and do this work with less smoke. Wow, we're really going to have to do another episode on this in the future as more of this work gets underway. Perhaps we could even go out to a prescribed bone. That'd make for really interesting audio. But it's important to understand that this is connected to the community smoke plans. While prescribed boning can help reduce some of the more catastrophic events we've seen recently, as you're saying, Lauren, prescribed boning would still create some smoke and communities need to be prepared. Here's Margaret one more time to talk about just how these community-led plans tailor to those specific needs. The community smoke response plans, they are supposed to be very tailored to the community because not every community is the same. And um, so component of the plan would be figuring out who are the smoke vulnerable people in in that community and how they prefer to be communicated with. So an example is one of our communities that we worked with in 2020, Enterprise and Wallowa County, they were kind of working on a community response plan that went into some very rural areas and 
they didn't have Wi-Fi or internet access in some of these areas. So it was really about developing a phone call system to be able to call all of the people in this certain area, because that was going to be the most effective means of communication. And so those are the types of things that these plans are identifying. Who's vulnerable and how can you actually communicate with them? I really can't wait to talk about this more and we'll have a lot more to say, I'm sure, in the future. But for now, we've covered a lot of territory and we really need to wrap up this episode. So what do you think? Should we talk about a few key takeaways from our inaugural podcast series where there's smoke. Absolutely, Lon. Gosh, we've covered a lot of ground and just learned so much. And hopefully you as the listener have been along for the ride with us and have enjoyed this venture. Hopefully this is the first of many podcasts to come. Yes, let's do it. Let's talk about some takeaways from this. Right. So I think one of the first ones has to be wildfire prevention is smoke prevention. There are lots of reasons it's fun or useful to have a fire during the summer, but pay attention to burn bans and follow them. If we don't have wildfires set, then we don't have smoke. And one of the interesting facts Dylan and I learned during this time is that humans are actually responsible for a large number of fires that get started. It's something like 80%. And while those go out quickly, those are actually only responsible for about 20% of the area of land that gets burned. That could be the fire that turns into the next bootleg. So let's all do our part and prevent wildfires and prevent smoke. Yeah, definitely, Lauren. It's pretty much lightning or people that cause wildfire and There's not much we can do about lightning, but there's a lot we can do about people. Now, a second takeaway, we all need to start getting smoke ready. That means figure out your air circulation system. Can you put a filter on it? Do you need to create your own, like your own type of filter? Do you need to find a local clean air space? Where else can you go to escape the smoke? And there's a lot of useful information available on the Oregon Smoke Information blog, and there's specific links in the show notes. So please check those out. Yeah, which feeds right into the next takeaway, which is make your resources easy to access. That means downloading the Oregon Air app that Dylan was mentioning earlier so that you can know what the air quality is, where you are and if it's not good where you are where you can go where it's better or bookmark the Oregon smoke blog that has all the monitors on it as well as well as all the resources Dylan was just talking about and sign up to get air quality alerts through email or text you can access all those things on the Oregon smoke blog or through the show notes which would be at deqblog.com slash green state Okay, fourth and last takeaway that we pulled together for you guys, and that's share your knowledge with others. Part of what we can do for one another is talk about it. Hopefully you learned a lot through this series, and now please just pass it on, either by sharing the podcast or just bringing up what you've learned in conversation with your friends and family. Right. I always feel really good when people reach out to me because I know something about the air quality and they're trying to protect their health, but you could be that person too. So make sure you talk to other people so that we can all be safe out there. Definitely. Definitely. So much of this comes down to climate change. Like so much with climate change, there's how you deal with its effects and what you can do to address it. As long as climate change continues along its current path, we will see more drought and more wildfires in Oregon. 
the frequency and severity of unhealthy days due to wildfire smoke will continue to increase throughout all parts of the state. In coming episodes of Green State, we'll be talking about climate change and what Oregon is doing about it. We'll also be talking about recycling, modernization, environmental justice, and a lot of other topics. And that's a wrap on our Where There's Smoke series. If you have any questions you'd like answered about smoke or air quality, make sure to reach out to us at green.state at oregon.gov or leave a voicemail at 503-451-0585. You can also let us know what you'd like us to talk about in the future. We're open to ideas. So thanks for listening to Where There's Smoke, and please join us again for more conversations about Oregon's air, land, and water. Thank you for listening to Green State, the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality's podcast. And thanks to all the voices who contributed to the conversation. Our music is by Jason Shaw at audionautics.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you get our upcoming episodes. You can listen pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Feel free to rate and review. And if you have any questions or ideas for topics for us to cover, you can reach us at 503-451-0585 or by email at green.state.oregon.gov. To find out more, go to dequblog.com slash greenstate.